Welcome to the Radical Audacity Podcast. I'm Tiffany Kane, your host. On this podcast, you are going to meet people that walk their own path, live life on their own terms, let go of other people's rules and expectations and the shoulds in life, and instead live life in their own truth, integrity, and authenticity. This podcast will give you the inspiration you need to live your own radically audacious life. Enjoy the episode. How do you feel about setting goals? Have you ever felt, I don't know, stress around the prospect of setting goals? You feel like, I need to set those SMART goals, those attainable, actionable goals that I can track and I I know what my goal is and, and I'm going to have to work for it. Do those SMART goals ever create a sense of anxiety in you? And then what happens if you don't achieve those goals? Maybe it was a weight loss goal. Maybe it was a goal of writing your book or getting your podcast out there or of um, an exercise goal for you know, exercising every day, something like that. And if you don't achieve that goal, does it make you feel like a failure? Does it make you feel like somehow I didn't reach this goal and there's something wrong with me? If you have had any of these feelings, then you are going to absolutely love this interview today. Get your pen and paper out. I'm telling you, you're going to want to take notes. I took notes furiously through this episode. My guest is Tara McMullen. Tara is a writer, a podcaster, a producer. She is a fascinating, prolific person. Her story is a beautiful winding road story of finding her path through a big giant heck no that she was given. And she had a, a, a big no when she went for a job promotion that set her on a new path. And it's a really beautiful story. She's going to tell the story today. And I think you'll find a lot in her story that resonates with you. So let me tell you a little bit about Tara. She is a small business influencer. She coaches people on their small businesses and setting their small businesses up for success. But she also studies business. She's really interested in small business owners and how they live, how they work, what influences them, what their hopes for the future are. And through this fascination she has with people, she has created a gorgeous podcast called What Works. I love listening to her podcast. And she is the proud author of a book that's coming out in November, also called What Works. It's a comprehensive framework to change the way we approach goal setting. Fascinating. You are going to love this conversation. Tara is smart and funny and tells heartwarming stories that I know will touch you and you will connect with. And I think you are going to love her just as much as I do. Enjoy the episode. Hello, beautiful audience. As I told you in the intro, 
I am beyond thrilled and excited with our guest today. I know you guys are going to love this conversation. So make sure you have your pen and pencil ready because you're going to want to take notes and you will probably laugh quite a bit because Tara has a great sense of humor. So today, Tara McMullen, we are so thrilled to have you. I've already told everybody about how wonderful you are and all this great stuff. I do want to hear from you a little bit about your journey of how did you get where you are now, podcast of like, you're almost at 400 episodes, producing a a book is coming out and just all of this amazing stuff happening for you. Will you give us a little bit of your story of your journey of how you got here? Sure. It's a very windy, very windy story. Those are the best. Yeah. (laughs) I will say that um, probably the the best place to start uh, my story is way back in college, which shocking to to me now is 20 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 20 years ago, I was uh, studying music and religious studies at a small liberal arts college was obsessed with religious studies and sort of all of these questions around um, why do we believe the things that we believe and how do those beliefs impact the way we interact with the world? How do we shape our worldviews? What do those worldviews consist of? And how does that change like political relationships and, and community relationships and all that sorts of stuff? Loved that. And so my plan um, as we were talking about before I started, uh, before we started recording, was to go on, get my master's, get my PhD, and just kind of g- do the the regular academic thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was all set up to do that. I had a full scholarship to my first choice school. Um, things were looking really good. Had an apartment. You know, was I was ready and. I was coming off of a lot of burnout from mm-hmm. college, and I was coming to this point in my life, which I'm, I'm sure so many people can resonate with, and in your early 20s where you're like, oh, what now? Like, I'm a, supposed to be an adult. I'm supposed to be thinking about, you know, the next 20 years, and I'm going back to school and I'm going to school for a thing that has zero job prospects. And like <laughs> the chance that I get a tenure track professorship somewhere is like next to nothing. Um, you know, am I going to be, am I ever going to be able to afford my own apartment? Am I ever going to be able to afford a car? Am I ever going to feel like I have some sort of security and stability in this world? And so those fears combined with deep depression and burnout uh, all sort of coalesced into me quitting uh, my master's program two weeks before it was supposed to start. Um, and from there, uh, taking a full-time job at what was my summer job out of Borders Books and Music. Um, and at Borders, may she rest in peace, I um, <laughs> really got into the the retail management track, you know? So I got a few promotions. I was doing fine. I was good at my job. I mostly liked my job. And anyone who's worked in retail, part-time or full-time, knows that it can be a physically, emotionally, and mentally taxing occupation that you don't get compensated very well Mm -hmm. for. Um, 
And so while there were so many perks to being in an environment with books and music and coffee and movies and super smart coworkers, there was also all of the things that for me lead to burnout and lead to a depressive cycle. And so about five years after I got started there, um, I was pregnant with my daughter and um, up for a promotion and, you know, was basically I interviewed while I was just about nine months pregnant. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And guess what? I didn't get the job. (laughs) <laughs> Even though I had been assured that I was a shoe-in, um, they gave it to somebody else who had less experience, who had less time with the company, but, you know, who wasn't pregnant. Um, and so at that point, when I found that out, I was like, well, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going back there. I'm not, like, there is something else for me in this world, and I'm going to figure it out. Uh, other people are doing it. If they can do it, I can do it. If they can work from home or if they can find work freelancing, if if they can use their skills in you know whatever way that's more rewarding than what I'm doing right now, I can do it too. I'm going to figure it out. So it took about six months, um, lots of breastfeeding, lots of, you know, momming it up early yeah. uh, in her life. And in that time, started to gather information about what it would take to build a website, start a business, start freelancing, whatever that might be. Um, And so six months after she was born, set up my first website and got started. Now, 14 years later, um, I've never done anything else. (laughs) You know, I I, um, create content online. um, I've built communities. I've taught courses. um, I've run a podcast production agency with my husband now. Um, I write, I have, as you said, I have a book coming out. And those questions that I was so obsessed with in college, why do we believe the things that we believe? How do those beliefs shape the way we show up in the world and the ways our communities and our society works? They're the same questions that I'm asking today, just in a slightly different context. And I find myself drawing on a lot of the same thinkers, a lot of the same theories that I was really interested in back then and applying them to this sort of um, future of work soup that we're all sort of swimming in right now. And I find those questions, not only do I find them personally fascinating, but I also find that they create such great conversations with people and they can create such aha moments for people. And so I I love that despite it being a very windy path to where I am now that at the root of what I do on a daily basis I'm doing exactly what I wanted to do when I was 21 years old. I love that. I love so much in your story. Uh there there's so many places we connect. First of all, <laughs> first of all working in a bookstore like my best friend worked in a bookstore and it was my favorite thing to go and visit her. And mm-hmm. I'd get there like an hour before she got off and just sit and read. And then we would hang out and sit and read in the bookstore. It was awesome. Um, I, I do miss bookstore days. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. But I, I also studied religion in college. Oh, yes. Yes. There's so many of us. So many. <laughs> yes. Yes. I was very fascinated with women's role 
in religion because I was raised in a very patriarchal religion mm. where women really didn't have a role. And so I was like, where do I fit in in this, you know, this world? And I figured the best way to do that was to study the world's religions and see where women fit in there. Um, it was fascinating. Fascinating. Anyway, I digress. So I want to get back to you and this beautiful winding road you are on. Because to me, we are told that you go to college, you get your job, and it's almost like a stair step to one particular place, all of these things you're supposed to do. And we feel somehow bad when it's a winding road. But but to me, the winding road is where the magic happens. And when I was listening to your story, it was the no that allowed you to get off the stair step and go on the winding road. And I think that is so, so powerful and so important and goes right into what your book is about, which is goal setting and going after your goals and how I'm going to let you speak to this, but the takeaway I have from it is that many times when we think we've failed, we've actually opened doors to what it is we really want to do. And I know I have so many stories like that in my life. I'd love to hear yours. You have a really, what I consider, radical, audacious way of looking at goals and looking at how, how, how you live your life. So will you, will you start talking about that a little bit? Absolutely. That's my favorite thing to talk about. Yay! Um, <laughs> Tiffany, I love that you brought like the failure creating opportunity piece into it because I think there's two sides that we can actually examine there that really get to uh, the heart of what the book is about. And one side of that is that we have a way of experiencing failure in which we internalize it. Um, and that's what culture, that's what society, that's what, you know, work environments, that's what motivational speakers in one way or another are telling us to do. If you've failed, there's a reason. And that reason is something in you, right? There's mm. something to fix that's been broken. Um, there's something to fix that was broken since you were born. There's a skill that you don't have. There's an attitude you need to work on, right? And we take all of that internalized failure and we work on ourselves. You know, we do the, we journal and we go to therapy. And those are all great things to do, right? But it's all directed at our inward experience of brokenness, mm -hmm. of being a failure, of not being good enough, not being smart enough, not being experienced enough, whatever it might be. And, um, that is, that's, that can keep you on its own kind of treadmill that's associated with that sort of laddering up, that stepping up that you were describing, right? Mm -hmm. Where we, because we have been told we're a failure, because we have failed and internalized that sense of failure, we go looking for the next step up, right? Mm -hmm. Or the next responsibility we can take on the next project that's going to make us feel like a success. And I call this the validation spiral, right? Mm -hmm. The idea is that we start uh, because we want to be useful, because we want to be worthy, because we want to be perceived as a valuable member of society. We have a tendency of committing and committing and committing to more and more responsibilities. Mm -hmm. um, in the news right now is this idea of quiet quitting, 
which is essentially just doing your job the way it's outlined as opposed to doing all of the other things. <laughs> right. It's very simple. But it's those all those other things that we say yes to that kind of gets caught up in this validation spiral. And the reason it's a spiral and not just like a road is that every time we say yes to something, every time we go after another step, another rung in the ladder, we're depleting or we're we're spreading our resources thin mm-hmm. over all these different things. So we end up overcommitted from a schedule perspective, but we end up undercommitted in terms of what we actually have to give to those responsibilities, to those projects, towards those ideas of of what we're going to do next. Can we pause for a second right there? Because I feel like that is a golden nugget that I want you to repeat and dig in a little bit more. Everybody that's taking notes, this is what you need to take notes on. This is so powerful. You said every time we are overcommitting to something, Every time we're overcommitting, yeah. We're spreading ourselves thin and we have less of ourselves. Okay, you said it way better. So say it. (laughs) Will you like dig into that concept a little bit more? Because, oh, this is good. Absolutely. So I think we're all familiar with that sense of being overcommitted, right? Mm -hmm. I don't don't know anyone who doesn't. I'm raising my hand right now. Right, yeah. (laughs) Um, And it's, I would say, even for those of us who are aware of the, the, problem with overcommitting, we still end up overcommitting. Oh, right? yeah. We still end up saying yes to too many things. Um, so I contrast that with being undercommitted. And undercommitted means that the resources that we have, the resources we have access to, get spread thin across all those different commitments. And because we don't have the appropriate resources to devote to any one of those commitments, we end up either having to compromise our, uh, you know, compromise quality on how we live up to those responsibilities. Maybe we have to sort of bow out at the last minute. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, there's all sorts of different ways that we handle it, but it all ends up feeding back to needing more validation because it makes us feel like a failure again, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, I think it's probably, it would probably be helpful here to pause too and say, you know, I think looking at what resources we have access to is a key part of kind of working through this validation spiral and working through the way we overcommit and undercommit. And, you know, resources can be, you know, the obvious things like time and money, but it's also things like mental bandwidth, emotional energy, um, uh, skills, know-how. Those things are all resources. We all have different amounts of resources. We all have different access to additional resources, different abilities to bring resources in. And that's not like a fixed amount, right? We can we can we can grow it, right? We can invest in certain things that help us grow the resources we have access to. But we can't use resources we don't have. And that's what we try to do constantly. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so when we overcommit, we're tr- we're committing resources that we don't have, and when we commit resources we don't have, we can't do the job we said we're going to do, which makes us feel bad, makes us feel like a failure, and we start the spiral over again. Mm-hmm. Does that does that 
get into it a little bit more? Oh, that gets into it. That is so juicy and so good. And um, you're talking to me. I'm a multi-passionate ADHD person. So (laughs) I, you want to talk shiny shiny object syndrome. I am like, let's do that. I wake up every morning. I have an idea. Let's do this. Let's do that. My poor partner, he's like, okay, Tiffany. (laughs) Okay. What is your idea? What is your, but anyway, okay. So this is powerful. Like you're speaking to me. Okay. Continue with your, your, what you were saying before I paused you. Yeah. So, um, so that's the one side of the failure piece is that this sort of internalized, sense uh, that we are a failure or that we're not good enough um, and how that keeps us kind of climbing the ladder, keeps us trying to, to, to ladder up um, in our lives and our careers. But what you alluded to is that failure can also be a wake-up call. Mm-hmm. And there comes a point, hopefully, for all of us, um, and I think for a lot of us, the pandemic was a big wake-up call to say, you know, we've been told that this is how things work, that this is what we do to get ahead. And it has not worked. We are not ahead. We're worse off than we've been. What's wrong with the system, right? Uh, so we can interpret failure mm-hmm. as an internal uh, thing, an internal um, problem, or we can look and say, I've failed because the system failed me. Mm-hmm. Now. I'm not a binary thinker like that. And I, you know, and so I don't want to oversimplify this. It's not either it's me or it's the system, because that would be sort of a defeatist place to go. Right, there are right. all sorts of things that we can do ourselves to gather more resources, to work the system, to um, improve the way we interact with the people around us, right? Mm-hmm. And the fact of the systems that we ex- uh, that we operate in whether it's the traditional employment world whether it's the freelancing world whether it's parenting caregiving um all of these different spheres have their own systems of power they have their own shoulds and supposed tos and when we start to recognize oh that's out the problem is out there the problem mm-hmm. isn't me the problem is out there i can change my behavior i can change you know i can um, learn new skills. I can gather more resources, but it's in service of interacting with what I've already identified as an issue, as a problem, mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to fix myself. And to me, that's where the opportunity is to really get into that more kind of audacious part of life where we can say, I see the system, I see myself, and I'm going to operate in this system or outside of this system in a way that is authentic to me and in a way that moves me toward the people I want to move toward as opposed to constantly trying to separate myself from the rest of society. Oh, that is so powerful. So powerful. Okay, so I am guessing that the people listening are like, okay, all right, this is this is big. This is important, but how do I do it? How does this apply to me? Do you happen to have an example, an anecdote, something a little concrete where the listener can say, oh, okay, I can see how I can work within changing the system, changing the way I interact with the system, that all of that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, I will share a very personal example. So um, I, as I said, I've been working for myself for the last 14 years. Um, about five years ago, I got really kind of fed up with the, I was just really over the way I was doing business. It was sort of the typical coaching program, online course kind of model. And it was good and it was making me a lot of money and I had great customers and happy customers, but there was always something off about it for me. And so um, at that point, the beginning of 2017, I completely changed the way I was working with people. And instead of taking people through a course or a program, um, I built up this kind of community gathering space where we could all work together on improving our businesses and, and rethinking systems and all of those things as well. Um, and it worked in so many ways. It worked in sort of, in terms of like establishing a really different culture of creating a space where I was a leader, but not a guru. It, mm. it worked in that people started to feel more comfortable relying on each other. That stuff was all really beautiful. It didn't work for me in two ways. One, financially. Um, by, the, by the time I'm getting to with the story, um, it was making money, but it was for the amount of work that I was putting into it, it didn't make sense, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a business coach or I've, I've been a business coach, I can look at a P&L and think about how I feel and be like, that's not right. I don't care yeah. how much money it's bringing in every year. That's not right. right. <laughs> that's not going to work. Um, and then two, I realized it didn't work with my neurology and my uh, sort of social emotional needs. Mm -hmm. um, leading a community is really hard. It's a huge responsibility in terms of holding space for uh, a group of people who are by their nature diverse in all sorts of different ways, who have all sorts of different expectations. Um, and I am a hardcore introvert. I'm autistic. I'm, this is not, as much as I love working with groups, I didn't have the resources. Mm -hmm to make that work. I, I would say that in some ways, I started to realize this probably about three years ago, um, but I kept telling myself, well, I got to make it work. I got to make it work. What are people going to think of me if I have to quit this? What are, what people, are people gonna think of me? Oh my god, that's exactly. such a that's yeah. a, that's one of those ding 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 questions. <laughs> totally, but you know, all of my credibility, I felt mm -hmm. like as a you know, small business influencer essentially was around having a successful product, right? And if I'm going to say this isn't successful for me, then there goes all my credibility, right? Um, and so at the end of last year, it had gotten to the point where it was too much. Mm -hmm. I was going through uh, probably at least the second worst depressive episode I've ever had, possibly the first. Um, and I, I, I mean, I was physically breaking down. I was mentally breaking down. Um, and I decided that it didn't matter anymore what the consequences were. I needed to change. 
And so this is all a very long story to say that I had formed these very specific goals and this very specific vision of what I needed to create in order to be successful in the world that I was operating in, right? Mm -hmm. I've got to run a community of thousands of people. It's got to bring in millions of dollars a year. I'm going to have a team. I'm going to have all of these different things. That and, and not achieving those things, I first interpreted as a personal failure. Mm-hmm. And for years, I interpreted it as a personal failure. And it wasn't until I was able to say, I don't have to do this. Mm. I don't, this isn't what my credibility is based on. This isn't what my success is based on. I can walk away from this. It's going to be painful, but I can walk away from this and be better off in the end. And so that's what I did at the end of last year. To bring this example that has gotten very long back to <laughs> back to the concepts from the book, um, you know, I'm in in one sense, I am advocating for getting rid of the goals that we set and how we set those goals. I'm not actually anti-goal setting, but I am anti these shoulds and supposed tos and these sorts of goals that we do base our identity and our credibility and our, you know, our place in the community around. And instead, I'm so I'm what I'm for is replacing that sort of achievement orientation with a practice orientation. Mm. So that instead of focusing on where I'm going, I'm focusing on what I do on a daily basis. And one of the things that had become very obvious and very powerful for me in that time where I was struggling with this part of my business was I had really leaned into consistency, putting a newsletter out every week, putting a podcast episode out every week, um, you know, having my Instagram on a particular schedule, creating on this consistent practice-oriented uh, practice-oriented way, um, and not just what I was creating, but you know how I was running the company too. On Mondays I do this, on Tuesdays I do this, and just really grounding my experience of a, on a day-to-day basis and my experience of growth around practice and and practice leading to exploration and curiosity and a sense of stability and i realized that then i could play with that i could play with the practices i could try new practices out i could keep what was already working and say all right what do i want to practice next mm-hmm. what else do i want to be consistent at and so that's where the book leads folks is to this idea of setting commitments and those commitments are the sort of infrastructure for our practice and it's what informs our day-to-day action both in those sort of routine habitual ways but also in terms of decision making and you know how you want to show up um, in different environments all those that kind of good stuff and so this uh you know it's been what has it been now? Eight months since I left the community that I I started, 
uh, which still exists, by the way. The, uh, a wonderful company took it over for me. They took my full-time employee uh, for me. It was it was really great. And so they're still supporting each other. I'm just not there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, these last eight months, I've really been focused even more so on figuring out what I want to do next, what my new vision is, based on the practices that have been so effective for me. And so now it's not just the vision of being a success, achieving these great things, climbing the ladder. It's a vision of building my life and my work one day at a time Mm. through this practice orientation. That's so powerful. So very powerful because it feels, there were a couple of things you said that really stood out to me. Um, One of them is you have this sense of play around the practice. Mm -hmm. So for somebody like me, who's very multi-passionate, very ADHD, when I hear people go, on Monday you do this and on Tuesday you do that. (laughs) And like, I start feeling like, like panic attack, like, oh my God, that puts me in such a cage and that constrains me. And, and even the word consistency, like I have weeks when I'm like, Instagram is my best friend and I love it. And then I have weeks where I'm like, I'm not going to show my face. I can't handle it. I don't want to be on it. Forget it. Right. And so like the idea of consistency also often makes me personally as an ADHD person feel constrained, but the Mm -hmm. idea of playfulness, okay, what works? What is working for you? What are you enjoying about this? Set that up as a practice and then continue playing to create practices that feel good for you because what feels good for you with your mental space may not feel good for me with my mental space and may not feel good for the listener. They're going to need something different than you or I need. And I think that's a really beautiful concept of kind of giving that permission of play with it and see what practice feels good. Find your practice. Yeah. So play with it is a great commitment. Right. So like, yeah, we can just get super granular here. Let's do it. Yeah. So the goal in like three quarters of the way through the book is to come up with a set of three commitments that can guide your daily action for six to 12 months. Right. Okay. And so let's take play with it as an example. Now, play with it. If you were to say my goal is to play with it. Right. Any goal person, (laughs) any productivity expert, any like coach would be like, that is not a goal. There is nothing concrete about that. You will (laughs) not know how to achieve that. And you're right. Absolutely. It's a terrible goal. It's an awesome commitment. And so what I would say, like the way I would practice play with it consistently is I would say like every time I open my email inbox, what fun can I have? Right. Mm -hmm. Or um, if Instagram is really annoying me today, where can I go to have some fun? Where can I go to play? And so your consistency might be the complete opposite of my consistency, but Uh that doesn't make it not consistent, right? Oh, I love that so much. (laughs) Right? Finding the play in whatever it is that you're doing, or maybe not in everything, but you know, when you're faced with a decision, right? Are you going to do this thing? Are you going to do that thing? What does play with it guide you Mm -hmm. to do? Mm-hmm. How does it guide you to engage that project, to engage with that decision? I love that. Right? And it, I feel like the play with it in decision-making in particular 
takes away so much of the stress and pressure as well of, well, maybe I can experiment. Maybe I'm going to try this and see if it works. And if that didn't work, well, I can always come back and try this. And because I'm playing with it. And so you, just the very nature of having that playful attitude and that playful spirit makes the winding journey joyful. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that there's, well, I, I love that you kind of, you got to the, the, the nut of removing the stress from it. Another way to think of it is like you make something that otherwise would be super high stakes. What are you going to focus on next? What are you going to mm-hmm. be consistent with? Right. Which feels like, oh God, if I can't succeed at this, I'm a failure. Right? Yeah. We're getting rid of that attitude. And instead, we're saying that we can guide our lives and our work, our relationships around what are actually super low stakes things, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you can approach your work with that play with it attitude, it's not going to make your work less. It's not, or it's not going to make your work worse. It's how you're doing that work. And it is going to lower the stakes. Mm-hmm. Because the stakes aren't as high as we think they are most right. of the time. There are some yeah. super high stakes, you know, stuff out there. Absolutely, I don't. I don't want to diminish that at all. But so much of the stuff that we base our stress that our stress comes mm-hmm. from, it's not actually nearly as important as we think it is. And so when we have these kind of what can be practiced as low stakes commitments or a commitment, maybe that is really difficult for us. Like uh, last year. Uh, one of my commitments was to practice belonging uh, because I oh. I have all sorts of mental stories about, I, I, you know, just not belonging to any kind of group. Um, and where that really ended up guiding me was being more direct in my communication of not backing down from productive conflict when it was around. Those kinds of things had felt super high stakes, super stressful before. But that reminder to practice belonging, these people aren't going to leave me if I say what's true. And if I say what's true and they do leave me, I didn't want them around in the first place, mm-hmm. right? Um, that was that was game changing for me. It's something I'm still practicing, but it it took it just turned down the stress on those you know, daily choices, daily interactions, and gave me a place to channel my behavior and my mindset so that I could approach it in a way that was, that worked for me. This brings me so much joy. I I have to tell you, you know, I, I, I always worry a little bit when somebody wants to talk about goals because, because it's, it's such a, a minefield. It's such a minefield. And, and like you have said multiple times, it is such a place where we set ourselves up for feeling like failures mm-hmm. if we don't achieve these goals. And I, I personally like to feel about those as more of a journey than a destination. And to mm-hmm. me, goals, to me, goals is a constantly moving target because what I think of as a goal on day one, on day 20 might be like, well, that was interesting then, but I'm not sure that's really for me anymore, you know, and, Mm -hmm. or, or I may have said, well, that was actually easy to achieve. So maybe my goal is actually this. So to me, goals are a very moving target and we can stress ourselves out and it becomes this insane minefield. And too many times we set our goals on 
what should I be doing? What will make me look good to these people? What do these people want me to do? What do these people expect of me? And that has nothing to do with ourselves. So I have loved your message. (laughs) And I could talk about this with you for three or four more hours. Um, Seriously, I'm not even kidding. I am so fascinated. I I really, I don't know where you live, but I feel like I want to come knock on your door and bring you a, a, a bottle of wine and say, can we just talk more? Because this is- We can is... do that as She Podcast. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh my gosh, we're both going to be at She Podcast. That's right. So exciting. Okay. All right. See, now I'm getting off on a tangent because I'm just too excited. Um, <laughs> we're about to move into kind of my fun- section, which means we're going to leave this conversation, which I've had so much joy in. I just want to let you know that I really feel like your take on quote unquote goals is so refreshing. You are giving people permission to play and have joy and to set quote unquote goals that really are more like how do I have a, sen- a feeling of belonging? How do I speak up for myself more? How do I show up in the world as my true self? How the example you gave of being able to approach conflicts from a pace, place of peace, like that to me is like, how do I raise my voice and be heard in this world and feel comfortable that my people will hear me and the people that have a problem with what I'm saying? That's fine. That's their choice. Like, like you, I feel like I want to have you on again and have another conversation because we can just <laughs> dig into that so much more. Um, so I feel like we need, I feel like I'm going to be reaching out to you again, my friend. Um, Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> before we move into the fun part, is there any last burning thing that you would like to let the people listening know? <sighs> um. Well, I just wanted to underline something that you said about goals being a moving target. In the book, I talk about it in terms of planning being a work in progress. Mm. And we, anytime we start thinking about what do we want to achieve, where do we want to go next, it's very easy to get into super linear thinking. I need to know step one, step two, step three in order for this to be quote unquote realistic. And I think a much healthier, a much more fun, and a much more effective way to go about, um, you know, moving in the direction we think we want to go is by asking ourselves, what do we need to learn right now about the next step? And sometimes that's a process of like putting work out there and learning how people respond to it. Sometimes it's putting work out there and figuring out how I respond (laughs) to it. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes, you know, And it's so it's constantly learning. And if we don't change goals, if we don't change our projects, if we don't change the path we're on, when we get new information through that learning process, we're just wasting all of we're wasting that information. Like that's just that's not what we do, right? So if we can look at that process as I'm gathering information, I'm constantly gathering information, and I'm going to tell myself, I'm going to give myself permission to use that information to make the goal a moving target or to make a change that makes more sense for me, I think is, it's very humane. It's nourishing. Yes. yes. Um, and it is so empowering. Yes. Oh my God. I love this. You're, 
Tara, I, I have to tell you, I was excited about this interview today. And now I'm, I feel like I'm flying on air. I Yay. love this message. It resonates with me so much. Um, it just feels so in alignment. I feel like you've made me think about things a little bit differently as well, which I love so much. Well, that's awesome. That means <laughs> a lot coming from someone who thinks about this stuff. Um, <laughs> I love I love when I can ha- have someone who's super engaged with the topics that I'm super engaged with and still bring something new to the table. So I, I really appreciate that. Well, thank you. All right, let's get into the fun part. In this part, my listeners get to learn a little bit of a different aspect of you. So my first question is my favorite question. And being that you worked at Barnes and Noble, so you are a book bookophile just like me and my listeners, we would love to know what book are you reading right now? Uh, I am reading a book called Everything All at Once everywhere by Stuart <laughs> Jeffries. I love that and, title. It feels like the way I live my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it is a super nerdy book. Um, and I was originally not going to tell you, but I was going to tell you about something less nerdy, but I was like, oh, this, we're, we're here for the nerdiness here. Oh so yeah. This, uh, yeah. This book that I'm reading is about how postmodernism set the stage for neoliberalism and how those two uh, oh. systems of culture and political economy um, interact to support each other in really unexpected ways. And it's really good. He's a great writer. It is like some super nerdy stuff. <laughs> oh, it's my really goodness. good. And I'm, I am loving it. Okay. It's on my list. That sounds great. Excellent. Sold me. <laughs> Sold. Sold. <laughs> what was the not so nerdy book you were going to tell me about? The not-so-nerdy book was still nerdy. Um, It's called The Immortal King Rao uh, by Wahani Wara. And it is a sort of near-future, I wouldn't say dystopic, but like a near-future, you know, just take sort of what everything that's going on with Meta right now and like take it a few more steps Mm -hmm. um, into the future. Um, And yeah, it's just, it's a... I don't know how to describe it other than it it was great and it really makes you think about algorithms in mm-hmm. a whole another less you know even less positively than you thought about them before. <laughs> <laughs> and that one's a novel. Okay. Okay. Oh my goodness. So maybe at, that one might add to some people's stress a little. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. If technology stresses you out, like if you are super worried about AI or like capitalism run rampant, it's probably not the book for you if that stresses you out. Uh, It stresses me out, but like in an enjoyable way. So yeah. Okay. All right. There you go. Love it. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) It cracks me up. All right, Tara, they are making the movie of your life and you get to pick three songs for the soundtrack. What would they be? Yes. So I thought about this and I was like, I have to go full on 90s. My husband and I have been really digging back into the music of our youths <laughs> again. Um, and so my three songs would be uh, All I Really Want from Alanis Morissette. Uh, oh, love her. Uh, love her. By the yeah. way, speaking of Alanis, yeah. have you heard her newer one that she released in the in the pandemic? I have. Yes. Oh, so good. Okay. Go yeah, on. I just love her. I love her. Yeah. She's amazing. 
Just a Girl by No Doubt. Yes. Not a huge Gwen Stefani fan on her own, but No Doubt, like, it just makes me real happy. Yeah. Um, And and that song, so good. Yeah. Um, And then I was a huge Dave Matthews band fan in the 90s. I mean, truly, I still am. um, But I, I chose Where Are You Going for my Dave Matthews selection. I like it. I like it. I have um, Alanis and No Doubt on my playlist as well. So nice. <laughs> yes, we are good friends. It, it took, I know. Like all of no time, <laughs> all of no time. And everyone listening, I have to tell you, this is one of the the magical things about podcasting is getting to connect with people. And then just there's something magical that happens in a podcast interview where suddenly you feel like you're long lost friends from a lifetime ago and we need to be best friends again. And it's just this magic. It's magical. This thing that happens. Podcasting is magical. It really is. It really is. Um, And both of us help people get podcasts going. So I think it's kind of in our blood. So I love that. All right. Last question. This is my favorite question. I always love hearing about people's personal radical audacity. So what is your latest act of radical audacity that you've done that you're really glad you said heck yes to? Um, for some reason, this question is feeling very difficult to me. Um, but I think my most recent radically audacious decision is for something that's is happening in a couple of weeks. Um, but even the decision to do it was fairly radical. So I'm tor- turning 40 uh, mid-September. Happy birthday. Thank <laughs> you. Um, I am a Virgo. I'm all of those things. Um, and so uh, my original plan was to be out in Montana where my husband's family is. It's my, you know, it's my favorite place on earth. I wanted to be out of cell phone range deep in Glacier National Park or deep in Flathead National Forest. Uh, And for a number of reasons, it didn't end up happening. Um, And so I was like, what the hell am I going to do for my birthday? You know, where, what, it was, it was demoralizing for for months. Yeah. I had this, had this vision of, of my birthday and it was just not going to happen. Um, and part of the reason we didn't make it out to Montana this year is because we adopted two cats that just appeared in our backyard last (laughs) fall. And these cats have become, well, they've always been incredibly social. And because my husband and I both work from home, like they don't know what being without us is like, and we don't know how they would react to like a cat sitter in the house. So I didn't think I was going to be able to go anywhere either. And I got it. I got the idea that, you know, I could just go someplace by myself. Mm -hmm. And so I booked a five day stay in a cabin in the Adirondacks on a lake where I'm going to go paddleboarding and read books for five days straight all by myself. And it's probably a very weird thing for a 40 year old woman to do, you know, leave her husband and cats at home and (laughs) go by herself somewhere. But it is. Yeah, I'm very glad that I'm doing it and I'm really excited about it as as weird as it might be. <laughs> I love that. It is a radically audacious decision doing things on your own and 
leaning into what your desires are and finding a creative way to make them happen. So I love that example. So thank you for sharing it. It's actually very, very inspiring. So thank you. All right. I know that people listening are going to want to find you and read your book and all of that good stuff. How can they find you? Sure. Uh, So you can listen to the What Works podcast wherever you're listening to this podcast. That's the first place. And then explorewhatworks.com is my website. That's where you can find the book. The book is also called What Works. So this is all very easy. Mm. Um, And you can find the What Works book wherever books are sold. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Did you enjoy it as much as I did? Wow. I had some powerful takeaways. I was writing notes furiously through this whole episode because I felt like Tara had so many golden nuggets of information that really applied to me and I was sure would apply to you as well. You guys are very familiar. I'm an ADHD, multi-passionate person with a bit of shiny object syndrome. I am always starting something new and planning something new and setting big, giant goals for myself. But I always wondered a little bit inside, is there something wrong with me? Like my goals aren't always super um, actionable or, or super like trackable or attainable. And often my moves are, my goals are moving targets and I'll set a goal for myself and then say, uh, maybe that's not exactly what I wanted and, and I'll shift it. I'll change it. I'll move it. I'll get rid of it. And so I, I did, I have to say, there was a little piece of me that was wondering, is there something wrong with me that I can't like set a goal and go for it and reach it? So what I absolutely loved about the way Tara approaches goal setting is she approaches it from this playful practice attitude of let's practice it. And she doesn't set goals that are these smart goals and attainable and you can write down and you can track and, and you know, everything. It's so ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. No, she says, let's let's practice this. Let's play. And let's have a goal such as feeling like you belong, such as not avoiding confrontation, being comfortable talking about what you need and how you feel about a situation, setting an intention of playfully thinking about the things you want to do, having an attitude of play in all of the things that you are doing. I love that. Those are such beautiful practices rather than these very concrete goals. And I know for me that I could breathe a big, giant sigh of relief and go, oh, I can do that. And that feels really, really good. It feels so in alignment. And allows me to build the life that I want based on my passions and keeping my decisions playful, not having such high stakes decisions. I also loved what she said about asking yourself, what do I need to learn right now about the next step? So many times we feel like we need What are the 10 steps to getting this goal done? And let me work through those 10 steps and get to the goal. 
And she said, no, 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 that's not the way this works. Because when you do step one, you learn things for step two, and it may shift what you're doing in step two. And then when you do step two, there's things you have to learn to do step three. So why don't we look back and reflect and shift what we're doing for step three? And that may shift your goal a little bit. It, it, your goal may move and shift and change, and that's okay. So always asking yourself, what do I need to learn right now about the next step? I also loved how she said, when you are thinking about your practices and your goals and the things you want to achieve in your life, think about what your resources you are what resources you have at your availability right now. And resources, yes, are time and money, but also your mental bandwidth, your emotional bandwidth, your current skills. There's a whole set of resources that you have. And she said, use those resources then to work on on these goals and these practices. And yes, We can work on adding more resources to our resource list. Maybe we're improving our skill set. Maybe we're doing some internal work to help our emotional bandwidth. But also realizing this is what I have right now at my disposal. And so I'm going to work with this as I move forward and work toward my goal. So rather than feeling like a failure and feeling like I'm not able to make these things happen, realize here is where I am right now. And I'm going to set my goals based on what I have right now at my disposal. I think that's such a beautiful way to look at growth. You will naturally grow when you are accepting of what your resources are right now. You're going to grow. Those resources are going to grow because you're growing as a human being. So I think that is just such a beautiful way. Those Those were my three big takeaways. I'd probably have about 15 takeaways, but I don't want this takeaway part to take too long. I really hope that you reach out to Tara. She is fantastic. She has so many more stories I wish we could have dug into today. So please reach out to Tara and please reach out to me. Let me know how you felt about this episode. What notes did you take? What stood out to you? You can always DM me on Instagram. I love it when you do that. Let me know what you took away from this episode. And also, um, if this episode meant something to you, share it with a friend. Have them listen. It's a great way to have more people find the Radical Audacity podcast and a great way to to help your friends and enrich their lives by letting them know when I listened to this episode, I thought of you. And it would help Radical Audacity so much if you would leave a rating and a review if this episode spoke to you. It's pretty simple. Click on the show in Apple Podcasts, scroll to the bottom where it says ratings and reviews. Click on that and you can leave a review. I love your reviews. They mean so much to me. I read every single one of them. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful day and remember to raise the volume of your voice. Your voice deserves to be heard.